Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. It's been a historically cold and snowy month of January, and hopefully everybody has been able to stay as warm as possible uh, to weather these storms. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag reminded farmers and landowners who planted cover crops this past fall to apply for the state's crop insurance discount program ahead of the Friday, January 26 deadline. Eligible Iowans can receive a $5 per acre discount on spring crop insurance premiums. To sign up, visit apply.cleanwateriowa.org. Secretary Nag said, quote, Iowa farmers and landowners continue to utilize conservation and water quality practices, including cover crops, at record levels. The crop insurance discount program helps defray some of the costs of getting these cover crops established, so I encourage farmers to get their eligible acres enrolled before the deadline. Now in its seventh year, this innovative program offered by the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship has become a model for other states and the federal government. To date, nearly 2,000 farmers have enrolled over 1 million acres of cover crops in the program. To qualify for the program, the cover crop acres cannot be enrolled in other state or USDA NRCS cost share programs. In other news, the National Pork Producers Council submitted comments critical of the Food and Drug Administration's draft guidance on the duration of use of certain antibiotics in food animals. NPPC says the proposal would deny the ability for a veterinarian to prescribe antimicrobials appropriately, burden pharmaceutical companies, and may jeopardize antibiotic access. For 30 years, the U.S. pork industry has implemented measures, including FDA directives, for responsible antibiotic use. In the comments, the NPPC emphasized that veterinarians are responsible for deciding what antimicrobials to prescribe, when products should be used and administered, which animals to medicate, and for how long. The organization says the draft guidance interferes with the veterinarian's decision-making process by mandating a duration of use. The comments urge the FDA to work closely with drug manufacturers to provide a simple process to include duration of use to continue the availability of products and allow veterinarians to maintain their role in the decision-making process. Also this week, Mom's Meals donated 4,000 shelf-stable meals to the Food Bank of Iowa to support its school pantry program, 2023 was a year of unprecedented demand for nutritious meals. In fact, 1 in 10 adults and 1 in 8 children face hunger in Iowa. Chris Choi, CEO of Mom's Meals, said they are doing what they can to help alleviate that need. Choi said, quote, Mom's Meals is proud to donate these meals to the Food Bank of Iowa's school pantry program. It's heartbreaking that children and families in our own backyard have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from. With 2023 shattering records for Iowans seeking help with food, we remain dedicated to being part of that solution. Food Bank of Iowa CEO Michelle Book said Mom's Meals has been a fervent supporter of the food bank over the past several years. They have stepped up to help meet demand at a time where it matters most. Bank said, quote, We are grateful to Mom's Meals for their latest donation of 4,000 meals. The team at Mom's Meals are committed hunger fighters. Having donated more than 50,000 pounds of nutritious meals to the Food Bank of Iowa over the past five years, half of that in 2023, when demand has never been greater. Mom's Meals provides fully prepared refrigerated meals delivered direct to homes nationwide through programs to support long-term care, chronic care, and post-discharge care, 
as well as for individuals who are food insecure. Individuals may purchase meals directly or they may qualify for a meal benefit through their Medicaid or Medicare Advantage health insurance coverage or older adult program. For more information, visit MomsMeals.com. In other news, 2023 was a year of significant developments and changes on the legal front of agriculture. Harrison Pittman, director of the Ag Law Center, says 2024 could be more of the same, with issues such as the Endangered Species Act taking center stage. I think the Endangered Species Act, and particularly its relationship to the pesticide registration and re-registration and how that looks going forward, I think that's one that we're going to spend a tremendous amount of time on in 2024. It was a big deal in 2023, but that is a major shift in that part of the ag industry, and I think it's one that's going to continue in a big way in 2024. I would keep a close eye on the litigation side with respect to pesticides. There's still quite a few cases going on. They're not all being decided the same way, but there have been a few over the last couple of years, and at least one recently, where the verdict has been very financially significant, at least before appeals take place. The waters of the U.S., or WOTUS, should continue to remain in the headlines in the new year. I would keep a good eye on that one. That whole issue is important, but the traditional part of it, like the EPA and Corps of Engineers jurisdiction of what is the water to the United States, that will remain important. The part that I would watch is what is happening in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court decision in the Sackett case that came out in uh, spring of just last year, because I think that can trigger activity in state proposals that cut both ways. The aftermath and follow-through of California's Proposition 12 will be another legal issue in 2024, says Pittman. The third one that would be really important to watch is the fallout in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision on Proposition 12, which is the California Animal Welfare Law, that basically opened the door up to the degree to which states might be able to regulate what would otherwise often be considered commerce that would otherwise be left to the U.S. Congress to regulate. So I think that could spawn a lot of legislative proposals, both agriculture-related and non-agriculture-related, and probably will go on since we're coming into sessions around the country now that we're getting into January. I'd expect that to pick up. On top of all of that, foreign land ownership will be something that will also do continue to be a hot-button topic in legislation. We're going to see several states advance bills again this year because there's been numerous federal proposals, but they really haven't had a good vehicle yet legislatively to get enacted. I would expect something at the federal level to be enacted as potentially part of the farm bill process that could happen there, or parts of these federal proposals could find their way into an appropriation bill. Should we be able to get one, hopefully without a government shutdown. That again was Harrison Pittman, director of the National Agricultural Law Center. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for our daily e-newsletter to get our five daily ag news stories conveniently delivered to you every day. Don't forget as well to check out our free twice-daily market podcast on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. If you go back to our website and check out under the long-form programming page, you can find our newest product, Pods of Potential. From Andy Peterson. We'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith based Food for Thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. The other day I was deer hunting with one of my grandsons. He hadn't slept very well the night before, and I think he was pretty excited about the prospects of shooting his first deer. And I was excited for him too. We have a deer stand that we call the Old Taj. 
short for Taj Mahal, that is an enclosed structure and it sits about 18 feet off the ground. It's got comfortable chairs, is insulated, and has a heater, and it looks out over a large area, so there's lots to see. So right after lunch, my grandson and I walked up the stairs, turned on the heater, and got comfortable. And after an hour or so of looking through the binoculars, some low-volume conversation, and not seeing any deer, I turned around to check on my grandson, and he had fallen fast asleep. So I took over as the primary and only scout, and proceeded diligently to look for deer. Well, in about a half hour, one appeared, and then another, and then another. And so I asked my grandson, do you want to shoot a deer, expecting him to pop right up. But instead, he slept on. So I literally had to shake him. And even though he was groggy, I asked him again, do you want to shoot a deer? And he said, do you see one? By now, I had a big grin on my face and was really enjoying the moment. So I said, yes, I see one. Well, by now, the first one was out of range, and the secondly nearly so, and the number had grown to five. So I handed my grandson the gun, and I could tell he still wasn't completely alert, as he fumbled getting set up, getting the butt of the gun in his armpit, and getting comfortable. And finally he was ready, and he asked me, Which one should I choose to shoot, Grandpa? And I answered, How about that last one, on the end? It was a good day. As a grandpa, I've had the blessing of having many good days. And part of that experience includes always being able to show my grandkids and those around me which one I have chosen. In 1 Peter we read, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that is within you, and do it with gentleness and respect. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's it for segment one on this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Coming up after this short break, Dustin talks with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds at the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association Summit. This is Weekend Ag Matters. How would you like to visit one-on-one with the nation's top experts in pork production? Hi, Edie Peterson with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I have good news. You can do exactly that at the 51st Annual Iowa Pork Congress. It's returning to Des Moines January 24th and 25th, and once again, is North America's largest winter swine trade show, meaning a lot of experts for you under one roof. Join thousands of swine industry colleagues from across the Midwest by getting registered today at iowaporkcongress.org. That's iowaporkcongress.org, and we'll see you January 24th and 25th. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. Well, last week we had the Iowa Renewable Fuel Summit and we got to hear the remarks made by Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. But now let's hear from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds and her address to the organization and its event. You know, it's always great uh, to be here to kick off the new year with the members of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. 2023 was a great year for ethanol and biodiesel 
as all of you kind of defied drought, regulatory uncertainty, and high inflation to meet record demand for renewable fuels at home and abroad. Now, I think you know how proud I am to be the governor of America's number one ethanol and bioproducing state. It's something I highlight, brag about, uh, every chance I get, but I think actions speak louder than words. And it doesn't get much louder than the priorities that we've enacted to support our farm families, enhance market opportunities, and reinforce the diversity of our agricultural industry. And that starts, of course, with our landmark biofuels bill, which made Iowa the first state in the nation to enact an E15 standard, double the biodiesel production tax credit, and lead to the largest expansion of biofuels in our history all while inspiring other states like Nebraska to follow our lead. And it absolutely never would have happened without our close partnership with the Iowa RFA. And I can tell you, I want to be sure and let you know how much and how grateful we are for that partnership and the continued partnership. You know, I'm also proud to be leading the fight for year-round ethanol sales. I was pleased to see that the EPA sent uh, its proposal, proposed rule to OMB, but as you know, the job's not done. We won't let up until we make the right decision for producers and consumers alike. The progress that we've made on this issue shows how important it is to stand up to the Biden administration, which has so often failed to deliver for the biofuels industry. You know, while I was encouraged, again, to see the guidance from the Treasury Department that would allow ethanol and biodiesel to be part of aviation's sustainable fuel solution, as you know, and as I've indicated, we still must continue to hold the administration to its promises. Together with our congressional delegation, and I want to just commend them um, as well. They are fighting day in and day out. And let's give them a round of applause for all that they have done uh, to hold accountable against some pretty tough challenges. And while we maintain and advance our competitive edge in the global marketplace, we must also secure our farmland here at home. As you know, China continues to grow more aggressive in buying American land. Fortunately, I'm proud to say that Iowa already has some of the strongest laws in the country on foreign uh, ownership of land. In fact, we've seen other states look to us as a model for their own policies. But as China's threat adapts, our laws should too. We absolutely cannot let foreign governments undermine the agricultural dominance our farmers have worked so hard to build. To that end, we've been working with Secretary of Ag Nag and A.G. Byrd Together, we've designed a bill to further protect our farmland from foreign interest. It will enhance reporting and enforcement, um, increase penalties, and provide transportation, transparency excuse me, to Iowans on what land is currently under foreign ownership. With this bill, Iowa will continue to lead the nation and keep American soil in American hands. You know, it's equally important as we look beyond Iowa's border uh, for increasing market access overseas for our homegrown commodities. Uh, it's a vital to the future of agriculture, renewable fuels, and other industries our state depends on. And that's why um, I'm convening a diverse group of industry professionals to help inform me on matters that are related to trade, export promotion, and market access to increase our competitiveness in the global marketplace. 
I'm excited to continue using my position as governor to raise Iowa's profile around the world. While agriculture and renewable fuels remain the foundation of our state's uh, prosperity, our economic diversity is also a key asset. To build on this strength, we've worked hard to make our tax code more competitive and let Iowans keep more of their hard-earned money. When I took office in 2018, Iowa's income tax rate was the sixth highest in the nation at 8.98%. It was clear that we needed to make a change, and that's exactly what we did. Our family's most recent tax re- our, our most recent tax reform package provided farm families new options for tax relief when they rent or sell their land upon retirement. While establishing a flat 3.9% income tax rate by 2026. Um, But today it's clear, I think, that we can go further and we can go faster. So this week in the condition of the state, I proposed that that the legislature reduce the rate to 3.65% effective this year, retroactive back to January 1, and the following year in 2025, the rate would again fall to a flat 3.5%. The bill represents a total savings of almost $3.8 billion for taxpayers over the next five years, and it gets there by cutting taxes for every Iowan who pays for them. So this past Tuesday, I delivered my seventh condition of the state address, and uh, it's hard to believe it's been seven, but I was proud to report once again that uh, the condition of our state is strong and that Iowa is on the rise as the world truly descends uh, on our state over the next week. What they're going to see is one of the most livable, most affordable states in the country, a state that's number one for retirement and number one for young professional home ownership. They're going to see what it's like to live in a state that saves more than it spends, cuts taxes, and rewards economic growth and innovation. That orients its educational system to students, parents, and teachers, where life is protected, family comes first, and community runs deep. They're going to experience Iowa nice and remarkable people at every turn. And there's no greater confirmation of this than the incredible Iowans who make up our state's unmatched renewable fuels industry. Thank you again for all that you do for our state, for our communities, for our economy. And I can't wait to see how much further that we can go and grow together. So thank you very much. God bless you. Thanks for all you do. Those were the remarks made by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds during the 2024 Iowa Renewable Fuel Summit held in Altoona last week. That's going to do it for me here in segment two. Mark Magnuson will be in to wrap up the show coming up next. Don't miss the Regional Farm Show and Corn Belt Cow-Calf Conference, January 26th and 27th at Bridgeview Center in Ottumwa. Two great events, one location. Come see the latest from vendors and learn from the experts, whether in the expo hall or during a special session. And it's all free. Free admission, free parking, and free food. Doors are open Friday the 26th from 3 till 7 and Saturday 8 till 4. For more information, go to regionalfarmshow.com. We'll see you at the Corn Belt Cow-Calf Conference and Regional Farm Show, Bridgeview Center in Ottumwa. 
In segment number three of Weekend Ag Matters, I am joined by Eric Raby of Kloss. We discuss the ever-expanding coverage of the Kloss brand, Kloss's new venture to bring the dealer to the farmer with FarmPoint, and also overcoming labor shortages through technology. Here is Eric Raby. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm joined today by Eric Raby from Kloss. Eric, what is your role within the Kloss organization? Well, thanks for having us, Mark. Uh, I currently am uh, looking after uh, all of North and South America for all the commercial operations, so keeps me busy and keeps me on both sides of the equator. And Eric, you must be doing a good job because it does feel like the Kloss footprint just continues to grow. Am I right on that? Well, that's been one of our aims, and obviously uh, we're, we're known for our product, but we want to bring some other solutions to bear as well. Uh, and we'll talk just a little bit about that, but uh, really making sure that the ownership experience is one that not only customers uh, are used to, but actually where can we exceed their expectations. We know that across the board, labor and labor shortages in agriculture are a problem. How can we overcome that through the use of technology? Well, I think technology is certainly one of the important things that we're talking about all across the board in agriculture, but I think it's important for us to realize that Technology, just for technology's sake, might not be the best solution. So what we're trying to do and what we've been able to do is to integrate that technology so it's actually actually usable. I'll give you an example. So on our combine harvesters, uh, we have autonomy inherent in the machine that changes the settings on the fly uh, and all the adaptation to the crop without the uh, intervention of the operator. So what that means is that you can maybe hire a less skilled driver uh, and we'll turn them into an operator with the technology. So that kind of uh, if you will, addresses that labor shortage. The other one is, is when we look at after-sales support, and that's extremely important for us, both on parts and service, uh, is how can we get the parts and service to the farm and not have the farm have to come to a central location. So again, saving time uh, because a farmer's labor is as important as his helper's labor, um, we want to keep them on the farm operating. And Eric, maybe I'm jumping ahead of the of the ball here, but I know that Kloss Farm Point is a big part of that when you talk about bringing the dealership to the farmer. And I had a chance to talk with Patricio Frangella at Kloss about that, and it is a very interesting concept. Could you explain it for our audience that maybe doesn't realize what it's capable of? Sure. We looked at uh, two areas specifically in Kentucky and Indiana uh, where we didn't have coverage and said, hey, is this an opportunity for us to maybe look at a different model? And back to those points I just mentioned, how can we... Uh, get the tech that use the technology to get the service solution and also the part solution to the farm because nothing is more frustrating to a farmer than to have to stop operations go to a dealership look for the part they don't have the part they have to order the part charge extra for the freight and the farmer has to come back again why not put that responsibility on us because we have control of the parts uh, supply uh, and we will get that to the farm directly and you even take it one step further, don't you, where the tractor, the piece of equipment, whatever it may be, the sensors tell you at the Kloss location what went wrong and what part is needed and how it can be fixed. Uh, absolutely. We use remote service and, and onboard diagnostics. So not only can we see when a failure occurs, in many cases we can anticipate a failure before it happens. Uh, and we will reach out directly via text or other communication mode as determined by the customer, a phone call, and say we need you to either slow down the operation or stop the operation. We've already dispatched the parts and the service and we'll be out there to fix it before it becomes a bigger problem. And Eric, has that been as successful as you had hoped in that Kentucky and Indiana area? And is there plans for expansion to maybe even a state like Iowa? Uh, even even more successful than we could have imagined. Uh, there's a lot of things that we learn, and that's okay. Uh, it's okay to fail, and we do, but fail fast and learn from it and then adapt. Um, and certainly our... Um, 
I would say preferred way to go to market is through third-party dealers. Uh, they have um, a connection to the community, and that's always good. But there are a number of underserved areas uh, where Kloss Farm Point, whether it's owned by us or could be owned by a third-party dealer, but utilizing the technology and the remote parts and service capability is going to be certainly something we look at in the future. And Eric, going back to the technology side of things, just from the 30,000 foot view, I know there's probably some areas where this already occurs, but do you think someday we're going to have the ability to have self-driving grain carts, for example, going right alongside the combine that would essentially help a lot when it comes to a labor shortage situation? Absolutely, that's one, uh, one uh, nemesis of uh, most uh, combine operators is finding a good grain cart operator or finding one period. Or finding one that will listen. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that's one of the things too that we're looking at. In fact, I was just in uh, Germany yesterday at the Agritechnica show and we got an award for our new autonomous uh, Zerian tractor, uh, which really addresses exactly what you said when it comes to grain cart being alongside the combine without an operator. We still have some things that we need to do, not only from our standpoint on the technology, uh, but we're closer to that than we would be in some instances of regulation for safety or whatever being understood um, and, and us being able to provide really a good seamless solution for that. Eric, for our growers in Iowa who are hearing this conversation, are interested to learn more, how can they do so? As always, uh, two ways. You can go to kloss.com, and we have a plethora of information out there that people can look at all of our products uh, and also where our dealer locations are, uh, but also at farm shows that are coming up this winter and next spring. We'll be at all of those, uh, and please stop by and say hello to us. And is there anything else you'd like to let our audience back in Iowa know about when it comes to the hard work that Kloss is doing and trying to continue that expansion here in the Americas? Well, I think one of the things, again, is we are looking at it from the after-sales support standpoint. Uh, obviously, new machinery sales are important to us, but we feel like if we can really focus our efforts on taking care of the customer um, from the after-sales uh, standpoint, then that sale part becomes a, a lot less of a, of a task for us. Eric Raby with Kloss, our guest here today at NAFB Convention 2023, 80th Convention, the Milestone. Eric, thanks for taking time to visit with us here today and have a great rest of the show. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. That is Eric Raby with Kloss, and that wraps up this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. You can find this episode and all of our previous episodes of Weekend Ag Matters on the podcast page of our website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, Andy Peterson, and Riley Smith, I'm Mark Magnuson. Thanks for listening and join us again next week for Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, where Iowa Ag Matters.